Welcome to the Crawling Around My Brain podcast. I'm Graham Brown. It's June 25th, 1987. The Los Angeles Dodgers are in Atlanta to face the Braves. The Braves are losing 2-1, but they have runners on first and third with two outs and Ted Simons stepping to the plate. Simons is facing Oral Hershiser, the Los Angeles Dodgers' ace, but one year away from his Cy Young year of 1988. Simons hit 291 versus righties that year, although he had poor power. I know that because I'm looking at his Pursue the Pennant card right in front of me. Simons, notably, was also a terror in the clutch, one of the details that is provided on all Pursue the Pennant cards, one of the most realistic sports games of all time, and definitely the most realistic baseball board game and online game of all time. In that scenario of real life, Ted Simons hit a line drive between first and second that would have tied the game for the Braves, but unfortunately the ball struck the runner, Glenn Hubbard, moving from first to second, and the game was called on that play. That was in 1987. Let's see how it plays out here. Pursue the pennant, for those of you that don't know, was an ultra-realistic baseball board game that used real statistics to generate true outcomes of a baseball game and was an absolute passion of mine as a kid. I would play with my brother and my friend Danny and, and other kids in the neighborhood. So again, in 1987, in this exact same scenario, Simons lines out between first and second. Let's see how he does today. 980. Hard grounder to second base. The game ends. Hershiser wins 2-1. to one. While not a line drive striking Glenn Hubbard, that role just speaks to the realism of this beloved board game. I'm excited to talk to CEO and sole designer of the Pursue the Pennant game and Dynasty League Baseball online, Mr. Mike Zizlinski. Mike will talk to us about the origin story of the game, some of the interesting folks he's met along the way, and he will weigh in on whether or not my brother cheated every time he rolled the dice so stick around this is a great conversation i felt like it was a real privilege for me to get to talk to mike so i hope you enjoy it all right i am very excited to welcome to the program michael sislinski michael welcome well, thanks for having me, Graham. This sounds like this is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. You know, as I mentioned before we hit the uh, the official record button, I'm a huge fan of your work. And for those that may not be as familiar, you are the CEO and game designer for Dynasty League Baseball, powered by Pursue the Pennant. And uh, you're also the sole designer and creator of Pursue the Pennant, which is how I became familiar with the game and what led me to you. So I'm just super excited. Pursue the Pennant was a huge part of my childhood growing up in Connecticut. I used to play it with my brother, who is two years older than me, and uh, our friend Danny, who is about the same age. And we would, you know, buy the cards and do drafts and, and have seasons. And basically any downtime that we had during the summers in Connecticut was played uh, was spent, excuse me, playing Pursue the Pennant. So just a thrill to have you on the, 
have you that's, on the pod. That's awesome. I love hearing those stories. Yeah, it's, you know, again, for those, I assume most people that are listening will have some inclination of what Pursue the Pennant is, but it's essentially a hyper-realistic board game at the time and has all the players and you roll dice and there's all sorts of variables, including weather and wild plays and and errors and range. And it's it was really um, the most realistic board game about baseball that I've ever played. And as a huge baseball fan growing up, it was just a great outlet to have that feeling of being able to control a team and and really feel like a general manager and a manager at the same time. And so I uh, spent a lot of time doing that. And then recently I've gotten into the Dynasty League Baseball online game, which has some of that retro feel, which I wanted to talk to you about a little bit. But again, just a continued, I don't know, it just it feels so real to play the game. And so I guess I just wanted to start by asking you, you know, how did this come to be? Can you take us a little bit into the origin story of Pursue the Pennant? Uh, How did it get started? Kind of how did you have the idea? And and then how did you how did you execute it? Yeah, well, this is a long story. We're going to be going (laughs) on our 40th anniversary, if you can believe that. Wow. Incredible. Um, yeah, so it really started um, when I was at University of Miami. This is the uh, Hurricanes University, not the one in Ohio. Okay. I did a uh, self-directed internship and ended up uh, doing an internship also with the Baltimore Orioles in their PR department. Okay. So that was the first that I... I really put together a business plan and was starting the original game design. Um, These were all prototypes, of course, because there was no, this was not a commercial enterprise. This was just something that I had hoped to do. And the point or the experience with uh, the Orioles was great. I actually worked with them, the minor league Miami Marlins, not the uh, major league Miami Marlins before that. And they promoted me. Um, and, and this is, this is in my, so I should explain, this is spring training. Okay. So, uh, they promoted me, uh, during spring training to work with the Orioles. And so I got to check, I was in the PR department. So I sit in the press box, learned how to score the games. And I'd sit like next to Larry King in the press box. Oh, wow. You know, we had these different people that would come in and I would check everybody in. So I would check in um, with the broadcaster, Chuck Thompson. I don't know if you remember him. He was one of the original Orioles broadcasters. Brooks Robinson, um, uh, he was broadcasting. Um, this was this was 1982. So that, of course, was a really wow. exciting season. Yeah. So, um, so I had this design for the game. And later on, I was actually able to... Um, play test my game with Dennis Martinez and Dennis was a lot of fun play testing because he well he's just a fun guy but he would uh when he's rolling the dice and uh as you as most people know if if you have a number between zero and 499 it's on the hitter's card 500 through 99 it's on the pitcher's card well right Dennis is literally throwing curveballs with the dice, you know, very, very animated and really yeah. into it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that was, that was the start of it. And 
Well, did you have like a statistic? Sorry, did you have like um, an interest in statistics or like how did was, you? Yeah. So yeah. So that's so that's next. I was going to be exactly okay. what's going to be next. So sure. 1982 was also the time that the first Bill James abstract came out. Okay. Ah, got it. It was the, the 1982 abstract, and uh, it was all based on the 1981 season. Okay. That was a complete eye opener for me, hmm. and subsequently, I you know always was buying the baseball abstracts, and I learned so much from those uh, abstracts. Hmm. And what I decided in terms of the game design, I want to take everything I learned from baseball abstracts and put it into my game. And that's how, you know, like the ballpark effects came into play. Mm. Um, and a lot of these things that were just coming out, you know, weren't at all in simulations at that time. We were, when we finally came out, this was like cutting edge because we, you know, basically no one had ballpark effects. Right. Um, and uh, so that's, that's where a lot of the statistical um information or or design i should say came from was was from that era and it was just timed perfectly right because those abstracts had just come out and it was kind of like a revolution you know everyone was like wow what is this you know all these new ideas about uh baseball that go beyond you know batting average and you know some of the just basic statistics at that time yeah. so so i've got the game I've got this prototype, and the next thing is like, okay, like, how do I, how do I, you know, how do I get this started? You know, I, I need money. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, I'm in Milwaukee. I'm in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, this isn't like Silicon Valley. You know, where you're going. You know, <laughs> there's venture capital flowing out. Right. For, um, <laughs> And there was a lot of impediments to getting started. It's a lot easier to just start a game. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm looking to do this on a large scale. I'm thinking big, you know. So, um, so finally, what happens? Uh, and I had gone like all over trying to get investors, um, going to different publishers. Um, one of the publishers who probably said that probably is notable um a couple so i went to uh tsr hobbies and they were right in lake geneva uh wisconsin mm -hmm. and they were they're famous for the dungeons and dragons game if you heard of that um and i even drove not even fly i drove my car from brookfield to brooklyn new york to meet with Cy Berger of Tops, and I was looking to see if they were interested in my game. Um, wow. So yeah, and he met with me. I met with Cy Berger. He's like kind of like the almost like the godfather of baseball cards. So wow. I actually had a meeting with him. Yeah. So I mean, I was just you know going to the ends of the earth trying to get this started. So how it finally got started is uh, I am an avid pickup basketball player. Oh, nice. And it just so happened that at the Wauwatosa YMCA, 
a lot of the Milwaukee Brewers from like, kind of like the Harvey's Wall Bangers era, okay, off season would play, and I'd be hmm. playing with the with the Brewers and uh, um, Jim Gantner, Bob McClure, Paul Molitor, um, Robin Yount. Robin Yount never played, or at least I never played with him. Um, and that was at the Wild Toast of Y. Later on, I also played at Carroll College. And Dan Plesak would play there. BJ oh, nice. Surhoff, Bill Wegman. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so like all these years. So um, I I went and I, I asked Paul Molitor, because you get to be friends with him, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're playing with him. I asked Paul Molitor if he would uh, appear with me in a story that the Milwaukee Business Journal was going to write and at the time he was injured he had an elbow injury i think it it's actually it was actually like tommy john surgery this is the 1984 season and wow. this was july the, this article appeared july of 1984 and uh it was on the cover of the business journal and there and they take photos of us and that photo that you see of myself and paul molitor is on the on the dugout roof or yeah roof of milwaukee in milwaukee county stadium and that was during the shooting of that cover story okay hmm. so that's why okay. i have that photo everywhere because it was so important and so iconic in starting yeah. the company so that um that um article hits Mm-hmm. And I had been in contact with a venture capital company, and there weren't many of them in Brookfield, Wisconsin. We're, we're really venture capitalists. They're more of an investor company, right? Okay. And uh, I had contacted them, and, and really they weren't that interested. As mm. soon as this front page cover story hits, I get a call, and they want to talk to me. Mm. So literally... I sit down and a deal has been had and mm. away we go. And so from July through like that, through that fall, we're getting ready to launch this. And so the game comes out like spring of 1985, you know, mm. but we had to go and create and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's a story of how, it all launched with the help of the Milwaukee Brewers. And some of the, the investors were interesting. We had Jim Gantner as investor, Bob McClure, Craig Council's dad, John, who worked with the Milwaukee Brewers, was also. And Craig, incidentally, also kind of grew up a little bit playing the game. So, you know, here we've got like the yeah, senior manager, you know, had started out playing my game. So that's. Wow. So that's uh, that's the uh, the long story of how it all got started. That's unbelievable. I have a lot of questions about that timeline in there. A couple that are just um, out of my curiosity. So uh, actually, I mentioned briefly that I played minor league baseball for a little bit, and my pitching coach was Bill Champion, who was an old Brewers player. Not yeah, sure Bill right. played pickup hoops with you at all. I don't know. He no, that and, was he was like from more like the 70s the 70s games. right yeah. yeah 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 yeah. he uh he brought that 70s energy to our bullpen sessions for sure um but he had some really good stories and then secondly i was gonna ask you who who your pickup basketball game uh would who's your who's your comp who's your nba comp for your pickup hoops game uh 
NBA comp or a similar yeah. comp to a, one N- of the Brewers? No, NBA comp. Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I I think of like today more like uh, Chris Middleton because my game was always like the mid-range game. Nice. Mid-range. With like fadeaway, yeah. jump shots, creating my own shot. And I had really good elevation. I could dunk. Oh, nice. Only like six foot one, you know. But wow. my favorite, my favorite moment, almost I think, of playing the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uh, first time I'm playing with Paul Molitor in a game. Okay. He decides he's going to guard me. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> Paul Molitor's guarding me now. Right. Yeah. So I don't remember. It, it was pretty early in the game, and I just I'm bringing the ball to the court, and I decide I'm just going to take this jump shot it was easily a three-point shot mm-hmm. i don't know you know how deep of a deep of a free uh three-point shot it was but i go up and i'm elevating i have got a lot of lift right kind of like zeroing on the basket let it go goes right through it at the same time Molder had this unique defensive style where he would jump with both hands Vertical, hmm. like a vertical like jump, both hands extended. You know, right. normally when you defend, you go up with either one hand right. or the other, right? Right, right. You yeah. would go up with both hands. And hmm. he also had a great vertical jump. But thankfully, I jumped ahead of him okay. so I could actually see the basket, right? So, and it went right in. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. That's great. So that was, I still remember that. Like that was yesterday. So that was one of my favorite moments. Another favorite moment. Um, was later on, this was a few years later, I'm playing B.J. Surhoff. Okay. And B.J. Great catcher, he, by the way. Yeah, and he he always, you know, uh, had a temper, right? Okay. So, and he's a tough guy. You know, he's a stronger guy, tough guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he decides he's going to guard me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. So... I just went off though, and I'm just like hitting <laughs> jump shot after jump shot just against pouring him. it in on PJ. I'm just like take yeah. I mean he's just getting That's you so know, funny. very and angry. He's getting upset. Yeah. So, <laughs> so funny. He didn't like take me out or anything, but just the the it was funny just seeing the frustration because yeah. you know here's someone who you know has that kind of a temper. Mm-hmm. And it was fun for me because here's this professional baseball player and he just can't stop me. So um, that <laughs> was, you, that was, did you add that into his card at shot all? That was like, you know, I had enough elevation in my jump shot and enough where I could fade away that it was very difficult to stop if I, you know, if the shots were going in, you know, it wasn't, I'm not shooting set shots. Right. 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 So, you know, they can't just like get close to me. It's not going to work. So uh, but that was, those are two of my great. favorite uh stories and memories that i had but pat hughes who's the uh, cubs broadcaster he also played with us Mm. Um, so it was really a fun fun time and it went on for pretty much that whole decade of the 80s i think i started playing or those the brewers started coming there maybe like 83 something like that that i remember seeing them so yeah it was a fun era 
So that's amazing. I, I asked a question there, but I was thinking it'd be funny if you built into BJ Surhoff's uh, Pursue the Pennant card something about his like fiery. Yeah, <laughs> fiery well, you know, we have that. We have that hot rating, right? Yeah, right. Hot so you know so that funny. I have the inside scout report on that, and uh, also translating into the game. You know, having played the players, mm-hmm. one of the things that became evident to me, um, Jim Gantner, he was always. Uh, you know, he wasn't the most skilled basketball player, but he was like really ultra competitive. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, what the kind of player he was, but his skill was the quickness in his hands. You Mm. could really see the hand quickness. And Mm. then I thought about how good he is in turning the double play. And Mm -hmm. there you go. So you could see that baseball skill of turning the double play as he was playing basketball. And Molitor was probably the best athlete other than, let's say, Bill Wegman, who could Mm -hmm. dunk, and he was a really good athlete. B.J. Surhoff, you know, he was a good athlete. But Dan Plesak probably, (laughs) I hope he's not listening to this, Dan Plesak probably, you know, one of the the lesser skilled uh, of the Brewers, uh, he was tall too. It just yeah, you know, he's a big guy, right? He's a big yeah, left-hander. He's a tall guy, yeah, yeah. So that's um, right. he had a he was pretty filthy on the mound, so that's okay. He had his yeah. He, had right. his he was he, anyway. he picked the right sport with baseball. Yeah. So hundred percent. Right. Um, well, a couple of questions for you about um, as you're making the game. So when you're talking about this uh, time when you're you're creating it and you have this, um, you know this kind of first this first version that you've created did you already have stuff like specifically the idea to make the box into the ballpark with the stadium so again for people that haven't played it's a square box but you have what could be turf or grass on the bottom this this kind of paper that flips over so you have that realism and then you have all the stadiums uh that looked very similar to how they look in real life that would go up around the outside of the box and then you'd roll the dice onto the field. But like that alone was very cool that it was, you know, we'd gone on vacation and we didn't need to bring anything else. It was like, we had the box, we had all the stadiums, we had all the cards and the dice. So did you have input into like that creation or like the red, white, and blue die, you know, like how, how hands-on for those things were you? Was yeah, that all so... your concept? So the red, white, and blue die, that was my concept because I wanted to have percentile dice, and that's how the design of the card-making program was. The ballpark effects, that was all something that I did. The idea for the inserts, though, was something that was developed by some of the other people in our team. Okay. And they came up with that, and it turned out to be very popular. Um, And it kind of gave the it took the research that I had done with the ballparks and made it more visual, right? Mm-hmm. And you could see, you know, how how many, you know, all the differences in the ballparks. So um that ended up being a, a really fun thing. And um a lot of people have mentioned that they they'd like to have those and we're trying to find out, and this is you're getting the scoop here, all we're right. trying to figure out a way to bring back uh, that second edition. So what you just showed me, mm-hmm. we're trying to see if we might be able to do a second edition reissue, and that was the second edition. Oh, so, got it. Okay. Uh, so the first edition had the the county stadium 
uh, Game 5 celebration on the cover, right? And I'm mm -hmm. not sure if you have saw that version. I and that's the version that we're currently selling for the board game. Okay. Um, and then only one year later, we came out with the idea for the uh, the ballpark wall insert. So, um, of course, they haven't, they weren't updated. You know, that was back in the 80s. So, right. uh, if we can come out with the ballpark wall inserts, you'd have all the new ballparks, which would be great, right? It was great, though, because you yeah. could pick, like, we would not necessarily match up the teams with the fields, right? So if we wanted a lot of home runs, we'd be like a Fulton County Stadium because it was like a yeah, three right. or four or five it's to the left. Or, yeah, or if it was, we we wanted, it was going to be, you know, I don't know if it was like the Astrodome. I'm trying to remember some of the ones that were harder to hit out. But, you know, you could pick a different stadium and be more of like a pitcher's duel or a defensive-based game. So we we just, I don't know, it was crazy. I mean, I'm from small town of Connecticut, and this game just like would transport us to these different places that we'd only seen right. on tv which was wild and i did have a question my my brother when i told him when i was speaking to you uh, we played this game a lot he asked me and i don't know how much into this you want to get um but he asked like how long did it take to build the model um and test like the dice roll distribution to come up with what you ultimately landed on to have it be so realistic so as you mentioned again for those that may not be as familiar you have three three die. They're nine sided die, I, I believe. And you you roll, and if it's zero to four ninety nine, you look on a player's card, and it gives you a bunch of different outcomes. Some are hits, some are outs, some are you know hard grounders, whatever strikeouts, walks. And then if you have over four ninety nine, it goes in the pitcher's card, and there's a bunch of different outcomes there. But how long did it take you to like build that model so that it was so good, like so that it was actually realistic? Yeah. So it it was really about four or five years in the making because mm. uh, 1981 was really the first year that I started working on it. Okay. And we launched in 85. Right. So during that period, you know, was the initial work. And then subsequently, even after that, when we did the second edition, there was new things that came on board. But that theme of the Bill James baseball abstracts, you know, mm -hmm. I just learned more and more as they were coming out. And, uh, yeah, so, but I think I got a, so many things right from the beginning, mm -hmm. which I think was really important. Um, you know, there weren't, like, wholesale changes, you know, and I've always tried to keep the design pretty stable and try to test things um, mm -hmm. as much as I can before, uh, releasing them to, to the public rather than trying to have, you know, wholesale changes every year, right? Right, right. Well, what's cool about it is, um, you know, you can get as, like, in-depth as you want to get, right? You have all sorts of stuff. Like, if someone only played 40 games in a season, there's limitations. Same way with pitchers. Maybe they can only pitch a certain amount of innings and stuff. Right. But, you know, when we were first starting, and I'll be honest, even when we get together today and we, we bring our games around, um, we, we found this was kind of a a rebirth, if you will, because we, um, I think it was our birthday or Christmas, my brother found one on eBay and got me the set, and then my friend had his set, and so we've kind of started just getting back into it, and, you know, you don't have to necessarily get into all of that detail if you don't want to. You can play the games a little bit, maybe faster, or if you wanted to, without doing that, or we used to have these guys that were kind of, um, there were limitations, but if you didn't play with them, they were kind of a great find if you drafted them, like a guy who just hits 600 versus left-handers or something right. like that yeah so those are always fun guys to just uh use against each other when we play but um yeah that realism was incredible and then i, I kind of want to ask you so we were playing it 
everyone and not everyone in our town, but a lot of our friends had it and they were playing it. And then, you know, I was, I was wondering, there's this moment where um, we just found this real recently where the game appears in home alone, the movie. <laughs> and I was just curious, was that something that you had any idea about or how did that happen? It's like, it's a pretty quick shot. I believe like in Kevin's, living room or something you see the right, game there right. but did you have any idea that that was happening because i mean t- home alone might be the pinnacle of 1990 right and, and for right. many years after so ha- that's uh, pretty important yeah so one of the other people that i work with there uh at that time i was kind of he actually uh set that up it was jim van erden and uh they did the product placement so we knew perfectly that this was going to happen of okay. course they could have cut the scene right or they could, right but yeah that was placed there and uh i jim just always told me that was just good product placement and i said yeah it was so yeah. uh Incredible. yeah and to be in a movie like that you know you'd have to be looking for it or know the game probably to spot it right right but uh, it's definitely there so it's it's a really cool thing to think that you're in home alone right yeah just i just think if you were you know coming from college and you pitch this game and you start making it and then literally five years later it's in one of the most popular movies probably of the decade even it is again it's a brief shot but still i just think that that's super cool um and then i guess i would just ask like you know at some point um pursue the pennant um i guess and i don't know maybe you can explain the the rationale but so pursue the pennant kind of ends and then dynasty league begins and was there always a continuation of dynasty league as a board game or was it just like an online video game for a certain period of time uh, has it been a board game the entire way through with an online component yeah or? so dynasty league baseball started in 1994 is when it was released with the worst possible timing because like two months into our marketing campaign, the players go on strike and there's no world series. And then Mm -hmm. not only that, but the next season they're still on strike. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it couldn't have been worse in terms of the timing for launching, but we did have the original board game uh, for dynasty baseball starting at that time. And it was based on the original Pursue the Pennant game engine. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make it like next-gen Pursue the Pennant in terms of the game design focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess to make a long story short, uh, I actually ended up acquiring the rights to Pursue the Pennant. So we actually now are Dynasty League Baseball powered by Pursue the Pennant. And you know we're trying to bring more of the Pursue the Pennant aspects into play. Um, as far as the, we we, ha, we had a Windows version that launched at the same time. Okay. And actually that has, has was out longer than our online version. It was, it was out quite a while and it mm. was, it never quite, it was, it was meant to replicate the board game j- just like the online version. Mm-hmm. But it came up a little bit short in terms of like it never had a computer manager 
which mm. for some people actually like it because they like to play both sides. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we what we wanted to do with the online version, which um, I don't know if you want to jump into that right now. Yeah, I, I had some questions about that, and I had some questions just about like statistics and baseball, and as well, and then maybe some other questions for you. But I'd love to hear a little so, bit about the online. Um, so yeah, so um, it has a retro to... feel, I would say, which I think is super cool. If you go now to sign up to play Dynasty League Baseball, it like immediately brought me back. Yes, to playing the game. So obviously, I would imagine that's intentional. Definitely, um, to a degree, and it it works. It like yeah. connects perfectly. So the next important moment in Dynasty League Baseball powered by Pursuit of Pennant History, 2008. And I had known Jamie Hall for a while. He originally had written in to us in a, an actual physical letter that people mailed. This is almost like pre-internet, right? 1994. Right, right. <laughs> so he had mailed us uh, a letter saying he wanted to play test the game hmm. and i thought great so i actually got to knew jamie over the over the while and we had a short-lived fantasy basketball software and it was don nelson fantasy basketball hmm. um this goes back to my why basketball and i knew donnie nelson who was don uh, nelson's cool. son um, yeah. and donnie is the well, was the gm of the dallas mavericks i remember that yep yes and he just left that you know, within like, I don't know, a year or two ago, he left the Mavericks. But um, so uh, so 2008, uh, we decide, okay, Jamie, Jamie had worked for uh, Microsoft and he was leaving the company and he was going to go on to uh, change careers at that point. But he had a lot of time. And we decided we wanted to do something totally different in terms of taking our Sunday night baseball league, which is a draft league, and be able to play online face to face against each other. Okay. So what we want to do is have it so that you didn't have to, for example, import and export files to a central commissioner because that ended up being a real pain mm -hmm. and you never could have like real-time stats or standings or leaders you had to wait until you had everybody send you the files to the commissioner right mm -hmm. so um and being online would mean that it would be really easy for you to play other people because we were trying to do it with the older Windows version that we had, and it was just a nightmare. Um, yeah. You have like these third-party software programs. You had to put in the various um, uh, codes to, get, and it never worked right. Um, mm. And it, it was only it, it never you know that, that you had to share the screen with your the player that you were playing. Right. So we wanted to have it be true multiplayer where you had your own screen, the other player had their screen, and all you had to do basically is click the join button, and that was it. You were connected where right. you go. Um, so so it's like the vision was the technology behind the scenes was just not ready, quite ready for the for the vision that you had. 
Yeah, so, um, well, this was going to be the first of its kind, and it still is. No one else uh, has that feature where you can have a draft league and play live games against each other. There's other online games that you are maybe like the general manager, mm -hmm. and you send in, you know, your moves or whatever, um, or you're the manager and you send in your moves. But as far as playing a live head-to-head -head game, no. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. So if you want to have like a live head-to-head, -head, uh, a, a building bay, live head-to-head -head games, um, we're the only ones that allow you to do that in your draft league. Mm. Um, and then update the stats and standings in real time so you can do scoreboard watching right so if you're in september you right. can watch your other uh league members and you see their scores you know and you can mm -hmm. look and you can actually go into their box scores and the box scores are changing in real time so wow. you can look at the game summary and also see who's at bat so just like as if you're going to like M the mlb app right 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 you yeah can, you can do the same thing uh, with the online version. Wow. So that's great fun, you know, being able to, you know, see the other scores, see what's happening in your league. And as soon as the game, your game is over that you played live, all the standings are updated, all the league leaders, you know, all your stats. So it's fabulous. You know, we used to do it with the board game. And if you have all the people locally, great. It's great fun. Right. And there's something about the board game playing face-to-face -face that can't be replaced, right? Because mm -hmm. you're, you're there in person, you kind of see their expressions, and you have mm -hmm. that uh, fun sense of being there in person. Yeah. But we have a 24-team league now, and we have players in New Zealand. We have players across the country. <laughs> right. I mean, it's unbelievable. And if you had told me that we were going to have this online version where people you know all across the country uh would be able to play live games against each other back when i first designed the game at university of miami back in 1981 mm -hmm. i just would have had no conception at all about that that was going to happen yeah so it's, it's funny how things turn out and how things evolve um but to actually have the board game turn into this this new platform and be able to play what now you can play on mac you can mm -hmm. play on windows you mm -hmm. can play on your iphone which yep. is you know um, you can play on your android phone you can play on your ipad it's, you know, and that was the hope when we first yeah. designed is that you'd be able to play on Windows, Mac. And we thought at, at 2008, the iPhone was just coming out. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't even so much of a consideration. But as it turned out, mobile became really important. And we were able to do a mobile version as well. So um, if you're in a league, for example, you might be at home. And you might be playing in your Mac, and then you might say, okay, I need to leave right now. Let's go play um, when I get to my friend's house, and 
I'll, I'll, I'll play you game two at my friend's house and I'll play you on my phone. So you can switch devices and it will still all be part of the same league. In game, or if you're yeah. Season replay, you know, if you're at work or at home, you might, you know, during the lunch hour, you could play on your iPad, you know, and not have to worry. Uh, and you couldn't do, you can't do that with a standalone game, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're playing on your computer in a season replay, that's it. That game is locked into there. You can't go and play on your phone and continue right. the replay or on an iPad. So I yeah. think that's a really cool feature to have as well. Oh, it's amazing that the phone uh, piece is a great unlock. That's actually how I know that uh, my brother plays. And that's also if I'm just exactly what you described on a lunch break and I want to play, there was a guy, and to your point, there's people everywhere. Um, uh, There was a guy I was playing against and he lived in Atlanta. And so I'm in, I'm on the West coast. He's a little ahead of me, but you know, he would just shoot me a note and be like, you want to play at best of three. And he was a big Braves guy and I'm a Mets fan. So we had some great battles and I will say the one, I will say the one thing, uh, and this is a good and bad thing, is that you know you were describing playing with Dennis Martinez back in the day and kind of the way that he threw the dice. And I almost wrote into you as a 12-year-old to say, hey, my brother uh, is cheating when he drops the dice because he would kind of do a drop and not a roll. And I was like, there's got to be some rule about the needed rotations on each die when they hit the, the board game. Um, but kind I just pitch, like pitch revolutions, right? Yeah, exactly. They're exactly correct. There needs to be some stats on that because I'd be like, oh, what a surprise. You rolled the 250 again in the Albert Bell at a home run. But anyway, um, so, I, you know, I know I could talk I could talk to you for hours. There's a couple of things I definitely wanted to connect with you on, though, while I have the opportunity. And one of them is you were so far ahead of, you know, time. I mean, yes, Bill James, as you said, was a huge influence. And so Bill James obviously rightfully gets a ton of credit for bringing statistics into into baseball and you know but the fact that there was this generation of folks who grew up playing your game um and then we don't really get to see statistics really super involved in baseball until i guess maybe more around the money ball time and that you know there's a big movie and brad pitt's in it and that's a big story and then you have it now it's it's everywhere and i feel like it's as much of a discussion um nowadays as sometimes the game itself right is about how statistics have impacted the game so i guess i would just say one that's pretty cool that you were part of that statistical revolution and i guess i would ask just for personal note how do you feel like the use of statistics and some of the stuff that you're doing to create this game how do you feel like it's impacted the game do you think it's has it been all positive uh do you have any personal thoughts about it or do you just think it's just a natural evolution um, well, when I started, there was just hardly any statistics that were available. It was, you know, there were some printed statistics, but things like, let's say, lefty-righty splits, mm-hmm. which are essential to the game, you just couldn't find them. It was like an archaeological dig, and I tell people I felt like Indiana Jones on these archaeological digs. <laughs> I'm sure. I, you know, I contact the Hall of Fame. I contacted uh, Pete Palmer and John Thorne. I contacted Bill James, trying to get all these different pieces of statistics, and mm-hmm. much of which is now available, like at Baseball Reference or Fangraphs. None of that 
was available back then. Um, right. so, it was just home runs, RBIs, stolen bases, average, right? Just the yeah, I mean, stuff. like you go back to like the, the 70s is kind of when I grew up following baseball in, in the late 60s. The sporting news was like the source right. for baseball. <laughs> and you'd wait for that weekly edition to appear mm-hmm. and you would know everything about baseball at that point. And it was so important. But the statistics were very basic compared to, you know, the stats that are here now. But I'd like to think that we're, we've always been ahead of the curve. Um, for example, when we came out with um, the next-gen version of Pursue the Pennant, which is Dynasty League Baseball, uh, we had things like um, a catcher handling rating, which included pitcher frame or catcher framing well you never even heard of that in 1994 right right and we right. were already doing ratings for that so right. now that's a huge deal you'll be like why is this catcher hitting 200 playing in the major leagues i'm like well he has a great you know framing ability for his pitchers and he gets x percentage of strikes more than your average catcher right things like that exactly so mm-hmm. and and we the the that debuted in 1994 so think about how long it had taken for the rest of baseball to catch up, right? Right, right, yeah. That's the same as, you know, when we debuted uh, in 1985. We had all these advanced, you know, we were doing things at ballparks with the seven different outfield locations, and we had special home runs that I know you know about, like, onto Waveland Avenue and on right. Sheffield Avenue and <laughs> yeah. over Green Monster yeah. and, you know, really fun stuff, you know, where it wouldn't just be a home run, but mm-hmm. you'd know the, uh, in many cases, like the iconic locations of all these special home runs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also one of the things about the game that is great is the visualization. Because it's not just a single, right? You have right. like ground ball signals, you have line drive singles, you have doubles in the gap, doubles off the wall. Right. Um, and then the range plays are right. like, can't quite get to it. Right. Ahead. Right. And so it's it's it there's this visualization there that's there and uh that translates into the the online version, but those are actual plays from the board game version. So the online version is a direct translation of the board game. So uh, all those same plays, that, that isn't just text that was made up. Those, those doubles off the walls are actually results that come directly from the player cards or the game charts, right? Yeah. So it's not like we're uh, – I'm trying to think of the word uh, – um, like manipulating or creating no, something like kind of like uh, um, and, uh, I can't think of the word but uh, giving more uh, uh, description to a play that uh, is isn't really part of the play itself if that makes mm-hmm. sense right it just is the play but there's so many variations that can come about because of the combinations of the cards that you get this realistic, to your point, you can see the game kind of unfolding. And it's it's wild. Again, there's going to be some people who have never played this game, but 
uh, in those games against this gentleman in Atlanta, I was so fired up. It was like this close game, and then all this interesting stuff was happening. And I was like, this is crazy. It's so, um, I don't know, it's just, it really brings you into the game. You know, you really feel like, I feel like I was watching a game, but I'm getting to participate at the same time. So it's it's the, really incredible. The, the, the live games online, there's something mm-hmm. about playing online live mm-hmm. where it's, different than playing against a computer manager right playing mm-hmm. against computer manager is fun something mm-hmm. about playing against another live person especially mm-hmm. like in a tournament or like one of your friends or mm-hmm. in a draft league there's an extra amount of juice that's yeah. part of that game yeah. that is makes it just extra extra fun i like playing solitaire mm-hmm. but something about our league games I get really excited to play against other live opponents. And, you know, these are all my friends, too. So uh, it's just fun, you know, Get that might be the only time that I really get together, in a sense, with them, right, mm-hmm. is when we play our series. Right. So it becomes a social thing, too, where, you know, there's this glue to uh, the league and, and people getting together through the game, which – uh, is great, you know. You you yeah. get a chance to to see your friends and and play with your friends. Yeah, that's that is a great part of it, and that's part of the reason that I was so excited to, to kind of get back into it is to connect, you know, again with my my brother and our buddy Danny. Who yeah. Was so well, now but... is your is your brother uh, living near you or he's far away? He does. He's only like forty five minutes away. So, okay. but we both have you know kids and busy work lives right. and everything else. So it's it's more of um. You know, we got together in spring training this year in Arizona, and uh, our buddy Danny lives out there. So we got together, and everyone just gave us time to go in and run like a mini tournament. You know, while we we're while we we're in town, and it was just it was a blast. And you know, to your point, the online version with this, um, even though I don't know this person at all, right? This guy in Atlanta, he was like the 03 Red Sox. I was the '86 Mets. We were playing in one of those a tournament, like best teams ever tournaments, and right. I wound, I wound up winning. But it's something about the game itself is like it doesn't. I don't know anything about him, but I know he's into this game. There's already right. like shared experiences and this was different. I asked him, he, he grew up playing it by himself, you know, and he would play. So he was kind of, he was really interested to hear my experiences playing against my friends and doing these drafts in person. Cause he grew up playing it all by himself, but still just playing the game. There's like this connective tissue that, you know, just allows you to hop right into it. So it's, it's so, um, and I have a, I have a, a question at the end for you around that, you know, uh, kind of, feeling that people have about this game and, and how kind of personal it is to folks. But I want to ask you quickly, I'd be remiss. It's so um it's so detailed and lifelike. And I, I read a little bit about this, but has I would imagine there's been interest from actual baseball franchises to maybe speak to you to learn more about this, especially the statistics within baseball work just kind of ramping up because you had already done all this to your point, you know, being Indiana Jones and pulling, unearthing a lot of this stuff. But can you just tell us some, some stories about maybe working with, with teams or, or how teams have wanted to work with you? Yeah. So just early on, um, because I had worked with the Orioles, I had a chance to uh, get access to maybe players and managers that I normally, you know, wouldn't have been able to. So one of the early stories is, uh, and and this is this goes back. I I want to say 1980. 
three. I think this is before the game even came out. Uh, yeah, in 1983. Um, I'm playing with a prototype of our game in the Milwaukee County Stadium Visitors Clubhouse with Dennis Martinez, Tippy Martinez, Len Sakata, and we're, we're, we're playing, playing a game right in the middle of the Orioles Clubhouse. All of a sudden, Amazing. Earl Weaver walks in, and I can't remember which Oriole player uh, it was, but he went up to Earl, and he was trying to explain what we were doing, and Earl just kind of like looked at us like we were like from outer space. <laughs> he didn't old school. Get, yeah, he just didn't get what we were doing, and he just kind of walked on. Um, I had another experience with another major league manager. I'm doing a, uh, a – the Detroit Free Press writer was doing a story for the Detroit Free Press. And we are playing a – 1968 Tigers versus 1984 Tigers game in the lobby of whatever hotel we were in suburban Detroit. Okay. Um, we're playing. Guess who walks in? None other than Sparky Anderson. Wow. Just Iconic. Like out of the blue. I mean, it wasn't the team hotel or anything. Right. I don't know what he was doing there, but Sparky Anderson all of a sudden appears. So obviously this is a great chance for the writer. It was Mike Betzel was the writer uh, to ask Sparky, which, you know, which was the better team, the 68 Tigers or the 84 Tigers. And Sparky said, oh, definitely the 68 Tigers. No question. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just like stuff like that. Um, it's then starting, you know, in terms of getting like more into the analytics, I have all this information. And back home in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, I would go to a lot of the Brewer games. And uh, Tom Treblehorn was the manager. You probably remember mm -hmm. late 80s. And uh, I had all this information about stolen bases against um, the various pitchers. And uh, that was, of course, one of our, our ratings is, you know, you can obviously steal off the pitcher versus yeah. the pitcher. And there's... There's two different kinds of ratings, like how often yeah. they steal and then the actual percentage. And yeah. then there's a pickoff rating as well. So it gets really detailed in terms of all the, the just from that sense. So I go into Tom Troublehorn's office that I had this invite and I show him everything that I have. And he's pouring over this and he said, we don't have any of this stuff. Right. And I was kind of amazed, you know, like I have all this stuff and you're the major league team and you don't have it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was sharing this information with the Milwaukee Brewers and Tom Troublehorn. So uh, that That's was incredible. An part. Yeah. And then more recently, um, I've I've met with quite a few of the front office people, but our co-friend and teammate, we learned of yours. Yes. Uh, Dan Kantrovich, who used to be the GM or assistant GM of the uh, Oakland days. And yep. uh, I think he, he's, he had worked, he overlapped with Billy Bean, right? I believe so, yeah. And he, so um, for listeners, Dan was shortstop at Brown when I was there. 
um, and has gone on. Yeah, he worked for the A's, and I believe he works for the Cubs now. Um, so incredible. That's our shared LinkedIn uh, connection. Right. So it's amazing that you, you met with him. What did you what were you talking to? Dan? I mean, I imagine it was about statistics, right? But yeah, how did, how did so he wanted to know what we were all doing and uh, how they might be able to use some of our information and simulation. And uh, Dan, by the way, is now the scouting director of the Chicago Cubs, right? Right, right. So that's, yep. that's where he is right now. Um, and yeah, so I got a chance to spend, oh, maybe, oh, a good hour with him in their spring training site in, mm. um, I'm trying to think of where, it was at the A's spring training site, uh, wherever that right. was. Um it's in Arizona, and, I think in Arizona probably. Yeah, it's in Arizona. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah. think of the city, and it's not coming to me right now. Um, but yeah, he was very impressed by the simulation, and particularly impressed because I had brought the actual charts for the board game, and that's where you really can see like what's happening and how the, the results are resolved, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not just showing him this computer and, you know, you don't really see, you know, where these results are coming from. You mm -hmm. can actually dig in a lot more granularly and seeing, uh, for example, like the different range charts that we have that show the, the gradations of the various ratings from A+, which, you know, at yep. shortstop would be like Ozzie Smith, like best of all time. Right. You know, an F might be like a player, like totally out of position, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe... Uh, dh playing uh shortstop or something like that um mm -hmm. so he was particularly impressed just seeing the depth and the realism of the simulation and uh yeah he he was he said he was extremely impressed by it so um that in a way just made me feel really good that someone from the front office would have that kind of positive reaction to it so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me, and yet it's so awesome because, again, much like yourself, I would have never imagined sitting in my living room floor playing this game that somehow, which felt surreal to me, right, was so real that not only were you uh, were people interested in it that were in baseball, but you were actually ahead of the curve in that regard. And you know, Dan, similarly, I mean, we were. Brown in the late uh, 90s and um, he after went to Sloan for statistics and then got into baseball but like even then he was still probably ahead of the curve a little bit um, in terms of just being all in on statistics and in baseball and in sports and we've seen that now across a lot of sports but baseball really I think was the first one um, you know to get deep into it and people like yourself uh are are really to to thank i think in a lot of ways regardless of what you think about shifting and some of the different rules and everything else it's it helps you understand the game uh more and also um i think that it, that's what made the board game and that's what makes the online you know dynasty baseball so much fun to play is that those statistics lead to this gameplay that feels like a real game. So I, I mean, uh, just, just incredible, incredible stories. I wanted to, um, I know we're kind of up against time. So I just wanted to, um, ask you something. So I was reading, um, wanted to ask you something and I want to talk about uh, Saber 51 briefly at the end. And I have a conference coming up. So I want to ask you about that, but 
I was doing some research for this and I came across this article and it was this, this man who was talking about how he played uh, Pursuit of Pen all the time uh, back in the day. And uh, he found, you know, years later, the, this game that he had already begun, but he had not completed it. And then he did like a blog where he basically said, hey, this is going to be my last game. And he talked all about like why it was so important. And then he went inning by inning and detailed what happened with the game. And, it, you know, it struck me as like this, this kind of obviously this passion project, right? He just wrote a blog about this experience. It's very unique to him. But I found it really touching. And I was wondering, why do you think that your game has resonated like this with so many people? What is it about it that that makes it not just a, a game? Like I look at it as more of like a part of my, you know, childhood and now an adult as well. But what is it about it that makes it resonate with people like that? Well, I, I think a big part of it is the game that you grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there's an uh, affinity with the first game that you play um, and just the, le- the le- like as we've been talking about, just the level of realism really helps to immerse you in the game. Um, and the playability is there, right? I mean, it's not like it gets bogged down. It, it flows well, even with all the, the realism. And that's a huge design goal because it's one thing to have all this realism, but if the game gets so bogged down, uh, you know, then forget it. You know, people, it's going to be too complicated. And, it, you know, you can play a complete game in about 25, 30 minutes, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there's something about, like you were saying, you're playing with your brothers and your friends. You remember that. Those are life moments, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember, I we've done a lot of... Uh, tour tournaments we'll, we'll actually have players um from to various parts of the country and we'll get together for a tournament live with the board game and we'll travel by train to a ballpark and see a game and i've done a lot of these uh i have to do this I'm, whenever the next one is if, if they're still happening yeah, I, I maybe yeah. i've done 20 of them I, <laughs> okay. I, maybe even more than that okay but yeah, these are moments that people remember, like, f- for the rest of their lives. They're life moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just great seeing that. And they've become, you know, and the people on the, the tour tournaments have become my friends. And, you know, we stay in contact. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's really great, you know. It becomes um, a part of your life, right? and an important part of your life um so you know yeah yeah well no i was just gonna say it really it really has i think some of the things that you did intentionally and some and and maybe maybe others help like things like the wild plays right like things like that that really um or some of these attributes for like specific players and i mean those like those really specific kind of details and flourishes um i think are what make it like just a genuinely incredible game to play and then to your point it also especially you know now i said i'm like you know old guy get off my lawn but in this time where everything moves so fast and there's like not a lot of connectivity it's just an opportunity right for a to your point 25 minutes 30 minutes to really like connect have some 
one-on-one time and play the game, you don't really find a lot of reasons to do that anymore. Um, and so it's great to be able to, to still, to still do it and have it still be all the new statistics, all the new players up to your point ahead of, or on top of all the new statistical components of baseball. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah it's and in awesome. an era where, you know, you see so many people that in a social situation, they're looking at their phones, right? right. They're, they're just so into their phone. Right. Well, at least now, you know, they can be on their phone and playing their friend and interacting <laughs> right. in a live game rather than right. just kind of being off on their own, right? Right, right. So, yeah. um, or, you know, even better, like if they're both on their phones, um, in this, you know, in together, you know, phys- in a phys- same physical location, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing against each other, that that might even be more ideal, you know, if you both were together playing. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, and uh, I, you know, can't thank you enough for creating this amazing game and for continuing with it and continuing to iterate on it to make it to your point viable now online and have it be easy to play, but yet keep that kind of uh, old school feel to it that um, makes the gameplay so fun. So um, yeah, can't thank you enough. And I know I wanted to ask you quickly, I know we're over here. So uh, I wanted to ask about Sabre 51. I know you have a convention coming up. Uh, so Sabre convention is July 5th through 9th at the Palmer house Hilton in Chicago, Illinois, uh, where actually I stayed recently in a business trip, nice place. Um, and it's the society for American baseball research. And I just looked, looked like give a bunch of speakers and, it's like a really interesting convention. Can you tell me a little bit about the Sabre convention and your um, kind of role with that? So July 6th, which is Thursday, we are going to have a panel discussion and talk about some of the same topics that we've talked about here on the podcast, but more so on the uh, draft leagues for the online version because Jeff Reese is going to be there and he's in my draft league um, and Rob Nyer from uh, Sabercast that does the Sabercast pods. He's going to be the moderator. Um, mm-hmm. Derek Bain, uh, one of the co-hosts from Saber, he's going to be there. So, yeah, if you're going to be at the convention, yeah, stop by and say hi. And then that's at noon on Thursday. Um, and it should be a really fascinating discussion, you know, talking about some of these same topics at 4.30 central time we are going to have a greatest teams bracket tournament and we didn't touch too much on the bracket tournaments but they're live real-time tournaments that where the brackets are updated in real time single elimination um and uh it's like every game is a game seven because you win or go home right because it's march madness with the greatest teams of all time Right, right. Uh, so, and that starts, it's going to be a 64-team tournament. Wow. So half the people are going to be eliminated in the first half hour, right? Right. Round. <laughs> so then if you're luckily, lucky enough to continue, you know, you're going to be able to play longer. But, uh, yeah, so. Is um, that only for people that are in attendance or can you play No, online? no, that's well, the thing. Um, okay. If you're listening to this podcast, you can join. Um, you can go. Uh, get, this, um, the Sabre uh, committee people are have been sending out the information on how to sign up, but 
all you have to basically do is just sign up at dynastybaseball.com for a free um, month subscription. There's a code that's up at the site, and uh, you can go ahead and play in the uh, tournament. So you just there's I think about 20 spots left of the 64 right now. So probably should sign up pretty quickly I, because I gotta get in there. Yeah, yeah, I got to get there. 86 Mets. Hopefully no one has them yet. That's my... Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's going to be a popular team. I know they're, <laughs> so you might have to take a second choice. Yeah, all right. That's fine. I can I can go through the other... I would, I'd love to say I could go through all the other great Mets years, but that would be a um, pretty short list, unfortunately. But um, that's awesome. So Sabre 51, yeah, check it out. Um, I, I think that's great. If there are open spots left, that's how I got back into it online. I played one of those greatest teams ever brackets, and it was a ton of fun. So uh, can't recommend that enough. Um, thank you again for just your innovation and for following your passion and turning it into something that has impacted a lot of people. It's been a big part. Uh, it was a big part of my childhood, and as I mentioned earlier, it just continues to uh, be a part of my adulthood now and a great way for me to connect with friends and stay close to the game. So Thank you for all that. And also thank you for taking your time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hope to stay in touch. Maybe I'll get to go to one of those one of those conventions or times where you take people to the ballpark and play some games and it sounds like a blast. That would be fantastic. So thank you for yeah. having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Great to hear all your stories and enthusiasm for the game. That That's amazing. It just, uh, it's kind of a feel good thing for me because I get to hear all these great stories you know about all the people that enjoy the game and uh so that's that's part of the reward i guess for doing it yeah 100 percent. well well deserved and uh thanks again thanks i appreciate it okay great <laughs>